On the morning of May 15, 1985, a crowd formed on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. 3,000 demonstrators greeted each other like old friends, smiling, waving and hugging. They all sported the same black and red buttons with one catchphrase written on them. Lose weight now, ask me how. It was the famous slogan of Herbalife, an extremely successful nutrition company that manufactured shakes and supplements to help people stay healthy. While Herbalife products had never appeared in any retail stores, the company had managed to hit incredible numbers in its five-year run, all thanks to direct sales. Herbalife's business model required sellers to run their own business, work from home, and sell the company's weight loss products to their communities. It was a formula that the demonstrators believed in. They were seasoned distributors who had traveled from all across the country to support the company as it underwent an investigation by the United States Senate. The government had some major issues with the way the company did business and the efficacy of its products. But those conflicts were minor inconveniences as far as 29-year-old Mark Hughes was concerned. The millionaire founder of Herbalife, Mark had no qualms about the trajectory of his company. As he stepped onto Capitol Hill that morning, he greeted the throngs of his employees turned disciples with a hearty grin that said, we're not going anywhere. And his followers trusted his confidence, hoping the company that had scanned them would triumph. Welcome to Con Artists, a podcast original. I'm Alastair Murden. Every week, we peel back the layers of history's greatest deceptions and tell the stories of the hustlers, swindlers, and fraudsters that orchestrated them. I'll dive into their psychology, break down their tricks, and explain why anyone might fall for a con. You can find all episodes of Con Artists and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Con Artists for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Con Artists in the search bar. This week, we're discussing the rise of Herbalife, a multi-level marketing company that manipulated its consumers by promising unattainable levels of wealth to those selling its dangerous weight loss products. Next week, we'll examine Herbalife's persistence in the face of investigations by the FTC, the SEC, and the FBI. We'll also track the scheme of a powerful investor who made it his mission to take the company down. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to The Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with The Weather Channel app. 
CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. In 1980, 24-year-old Mark Hughes founded Herbalife, selling weight loss shakes and supplements out of the trunk of his car in California. And despite his small beginnings, Mark had big ambitions. He modeled his business after multi-level marketing strategy companies like Tupperware and Mary Kay Cosmetics and planned a profit on direct sales and distributorship. In other words, rather than introducing his products to a retail market, Mark would wrangle in sellers who would have to meet specific quotas. Those people would also be incentivized to recruit a community of sellers below them, hence the term multi-level marketing. With this plan, Mark knew it would take some time to build his empire. But within 20 years, Herbalife had gone global and made $1 billion annually. Such success makes Herbalife's journey seem like a true tale of the American dream. Proof that with vision and daring, anyone can become a millionaire. A closer look at the company, however, reveals a business that relied on unethical practices to benefit only a top portion of the company's employees. Mark Hughes wasn't out to improve people's health or help them find success as entrepreneurs. Rather, he used such ploys to hide his only real goal to make as much money as he could. So what felt like a dream come true for Mark was a nightmare for every single person below him. But this truth would take decades to emerge. In April of 1975, 19-year-old Mark Hughes mourned the death of his mother, Joanne, who passed away from an overdose. Mark himself was a high school dropout, and his mother's passing left him limited options for making money. He began working for a multi-level marketing company, or MLM, as it required no education to get started. The MLM was called Slender Now, and Mark spent several years selling their diet shakes, learning how to convince consumers they needed products to better their lives. Eventually, Mark became one of Slender Now's top salesmen. But, unfortunately, as a result of poor management and dangerous shake ingredients, Slendernow's parent company went under in 1979. Mark refused to let this set him back. Instead of wallowing in the loss of his job, he took his newfound knowledge and hard-earned experience and set out to start his own company. In February 1980, 24-year-old Mark founded Herbalife Inc., and just like the company Mark had worked for, Herbalife's range of dieting products were aimed at improving people's nutritional habits and helping them lose weight the healthy way. Mark had no trouble spinning his experience selling nutritional products as an indicator of his expertise in the world of health. But he roped new customers in using an appeal to their emotions with an origin story he fabricated all on his own. While Mark's mother had overdosed on painkillers, Mark told consumers diet pills had ended her life. 
With tears in his eyes, Mark would promise people that he wasn't peddling any sort of quick fix. His only goal with Herbalife was to help people lose weight in a healthy, nutritional way. And generally, Mark found success with this method. His customers were moved by the injustice and wanted to help him create a safer world for dieters. They eagerly joined Mark as he sprang into action with Herbalife. Mark also preyed on people's desire to change their lives and revitalize their careers. He often offered customers an opportunity to become salespeople themselves, something that flattered consumers by inflating their egos. After all, they reasoned, if Mark could believe in them, they could too. He incentivized their participation as distributors with 25% discounts off their purchases and eligibility for huge commissions with new recruits. These tactics convinced his sellers that they had what it took to stand as an equal salesman with Mark. Top performance would grant them an opportunity to join the president's team, where perks like royalty percentages, watches and jewelry awaited. Such bait was commonly used in MLM companies. The luxuries granted to the successful made striving to earn more that much more enticing for those on the lower parts of the hierarchy. This was the fundamental problem with the company. It was, for all intents and purposes, a pyramid scheme. As such, success in this system was not achieved by selling, but recruiting new distributors and, in turn, climbing a pyramid. In other words, the more sellers one had below them, the higher they could climb. But, like all other MLM schemes, if someone didn't recruit, they often lost money. This sales model immediately seems sketchy to most people. However, that didn't deter many people from signing up to sell Herbalife. Mark Hughes didn't just sell them on the model. He sold them on a lifestyle and pointed to his closest accomplices to demonstrate how successful his business was. This is a common psychological tactic and was one of several regularly used by Herbalifers. In his book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, Dr. Robert Cialdini outlines what he believes to be the six main reasons that people are convinced to do things. Reciprocity, commitment, social proof, liking, authority, and scarcity. At Herbalife, distributors use the reciprocity tactic by offering to give away free samples of products to those who choose to sign up. Then, they get the interested party to commit to something small, like giving out their phone number or signing up for another training session in order to increase their commitment to the organization. Social proof refers to our innate desire to do what others do, and MLMs employ this influential approach by getting other distributors to recruit their friends and family. This also inherently implements the liking tactic, which states that humans want to work and be around people they like, people who are similar. MLMs like Herbalife also emphasize the testimony of experts in order to convince people that they have authority over this particular market. And lastly, they tell prospective distributors the chance to join won't last, making people feel like opportunities to be a part of the company are scarce and therefore special. After Herbalife's recruiters regularly utilized all six of these persuasive tactics, potential recruits were left feeling as though there was no reason not to join Herbalife. 
Not only did they sign up to get scammed, they felt excited to do so. Unfortunately, as months passed, distributors would begin to realize they weren't making as much money or experiencing the enormous sense of belonging that they'd been promised when they signed up. But to make up for their unmet quotas, they'd buy their products themselves so they could play the system, spending all of their time trying to recruit more salespeople. But even though most of Herbalife's products were being purchased by its salespeople, the company itself was still making money. A lot of money. By 1982, just two years after Mark started selling his shakes and pills out of the trunk of his car, Herbalife was making roughly $2 million a year in profits. People all over the country wanted to become distributors, and the company's slogan, Lose Weight Now, Ask Me How, became one of those pop culture catchphrases that everyone seemed to know. By 1985, Herbalife sales had grown to $423 million. Media outlets deemed it the fastest-growing company ever, and at just 29 years old, Mark Hughes stood proudly at the top of a very large pyramid. The dream he had built on the backs of thousands of distributors was only just the beginning. And as his empire continued to expand, Mark cashed in on his big success. He purchased a $7 million home in Bel Air and two Rolls Royces. He also married a former beauty queen and hired Wayne Newton to sing at their wedding reception. As Mark enjoyed the fruits of his labors, the media started paying more attention to him and to his company. It became clear that the lavish manner in which Herbalife's founder spent his days was quite different from the modest, sometimes destitute lifestyles experienced by his distributors. In addition, Herbalife's products faced public scrutiny. In March of 1985, the California Attorney General filed a lawsuit against the company, accusing it of making false claims about the healing properties of its shakes and supplements. A couple of months later, Herbalife became the target of an investigation by the United States Senate, who wanted to review Herbalife's products and its business practices. At the same time, the FBI had started looking into Mark and his company after they'd received an anonymous tip that Mark had a cocaine habit. The unnamed source claimed Hughes often did the drug up to three times a day and always had it before Herbalife rallies to psych himself up. But when the FBI took a deeper look at Mark's life, they found that his illicit activities weren't just a personal proclivity. A separate source told the FBI that Mark had used Herbalife inventory shipments to smuggle drugs into the US. Since the person who supplied that tip did not identify themselves nor reveal how they had become aware of the information, the FBI seemingly did not proceed with their investigation. However, the connection between Herbalife and cocaine had officially been drawn, and the authorities kept a vigilant eye out for suspicious activity. And while the FBI had pulled back, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee of Investigations started their own very public inquest of Herbalife. 
The chairman of the subcommittee, Senator William Roth, made it clear that the objective of the hearing was not to punish Herbalife. Instead, they wanted to obtain testimony to find out if the public was being adequately protected when buying and consuming diet products. So when Mark Hughes was called to testify, he approached the stand fearless and ready to charm. Of course, he wasn't expecting the tense cross-examination that awaited him. Coming up, Mark takes great lengths to defend his company. Hi listeners, I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from Parcast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. Our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on, and then it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. In 1980, 24-year-old Mark Hughes started Herbalife, a multi-level marketing company focused on nutrition and weight loss. Within five years, Herbalife had achieved astronomical success, as had its young founder. However, success brought scrutiny. And in 1985, Herbalife became the target of a California lawsuit, a secret FBI probe, and an investigation by the United States Senate. When Herbalife's Senate hearings began in May of 1985, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee of Investigations made it clear that Herbalife wasn't in trouble. 29-year-old Mark Hughes walked across the Senate floor eager to offer his enthusiasm about Herbalife. But the man about to question Mark didn't have the same sentiments towards the fast-rising MLM. In fact, Senator Warren Rudman had major issues with Herbalife's business structure, and he spared no mercy as he began his line of questioning. Senator Rudman pressed Mark on the veracity of Herbalife's infomercials, in which people claimed that the products cured their cancer and diabetes. In one ad, a man even claimed that Herbalife had helped him walk on his own after spending years on crutches. Senator Rudman also questioned the legitimacy of Richard Marconi, Herbalife's product manufacturer, who had lied about having a PhD in nutrition. In Rudman's mind, these were all red flags that the company had no science to back its claims. Rudman went so far as to call Mark's own expertise into question, inquiring how Mark felt he had any authority in the world of nutrition when he hadn't even completed high school. Mark's jovial demeanor slipped from his face as the attack continued, and he was compared to a snake oil salesman. The senator then invoked the criticism of countless physicians and nutritionists who had attacked Herbalife for its dangerous claims. At this point, Mark turned angry, retorting, If they're so expert in weight loss, why did they look so fat? Mark had buckled under the pressure of Senator Rudman's line of questioning, and because of this, Herbalife's historically genial CEO came across as both a jerk 
and a fraud. Clean up your act, Senator Rudman advised him. Stripped of the fanfare he'd sauntered in with, Mark Hughes simply nodded and promised he'd make things right. But Mark's apparent sense of guilt was more performative than anything else. In actuality, Herbalife paid $850,000 to settle their California lawsuit out of court, quietly discontinued two of its more controversial products, and refused to publicly admit to any wrongdoing whatsoever. The negative publicity from the Senate investigation could have resulted in the decimation of the company altogether. But somehow, likely because of its existing cult following and counter-advertisements across the world of media, Herbalife stayed on top. They even went so far as to make an announcement declaring that they were far from finished. It was Mark's way of saying, you don't scare me. And just to prove he meant it, Mark began expanding Herbalife. In 1986, just one week after settling the lawsuit with the California Attorney General, Herbalife announced that they were rebranding as Herbalife International. They brought their operations overseas and became a publicly traded company. This allowed them to raise a huge amount of money for future operations while sharing the risk of ownership across a large group of shareholders. It seemed that the drama Herbalife had racked up in 1985 with the FBI and the Senate had faded, giving way to the smoothest decade in Herbalife's history. They'd proven that not even a nationally publicized lawsuit could take them down. International consumers hadn't heard of Herbalife's controversy in America. So when Herbalife pitched products and distributorships, folks abroad had no forethought that it might be a scam. By 1996, Herbalife had extended its reach to 32 different countries, and half of its sales were international. In addition to selling various nutritional products, they'd also begun selling beauty and personal care products as well. As CEO and chairman, 40-year-old Mark Hughes was earning $17 million a year, and his 25% stake in the company was worth $250 million. However, Herbalife's peaceful stretch hit a snag in 1997, when distributors Dan and Mary Fallow filed a lawsuit against the company, alleging that Herbalife had withheld earned income from them. On the surface, the suit's resolution was reassuring. The Fallows had won and were refunded the lost wages they had demanded. But the income dispute wasn't the only thing the Fallows brought to the table. Their complaint revealed something far more sinister and far more worthy of the public's attention. Herbalife had ties to the Russian Mafia. According to Dan Fallow, Herbalife sent him to Russia to resolve problems with a competing company that had allegedly been counterfeiting Herbalife's products. However, when Dan arrived in Russia, he learned that his trip had very little to do with that rival business. In actuality, Dan had been sent overseas to negotiate with the Russian Mafia, which had been requiring Russian Herbalife distributors to pay them a fee before they were allowed to sell their products. Understandably, business in Russia was suffering. Distributors weren't able to make sales, and they didn't feel comfortable recruiting new members. So Herbalife decided to step in. They lied to Dan about what they wanted him to do on the trip. 
then revealed his real mission once he was in Russia. They requested that Dan contact the Mafia and pay them for blanket permission to operate across the country. They also wanted Dan to ask the Mafia to quietly put their competitor out of business. Upon realizing just how dangerous these objectives were, Dan asked Herbalife for protection, but received none. When Dan brought this story out in his lawsuit against Herbalife, the company denied all of his claims. They quietly paid Dan and Mary Fallow what they were owed and severed ties. It remains unknown whether Herbalife ever cleared things with the Russian Mafia, but curiosity did reach reporters. Only there wasn't much to report. Herbalife's staunch refusal to admit any part in the scandal quickly relegated the story to the back pages of newspapers. It stayed buried there for a few days before disappearing from the media altogether. Over the next few years, the company continuously deflected all negative publicity. Lawsuits from disgruntled distributors were paid off discreetly. Accusations of dirty deals with foreign government agencies were laughed away brazenly. Mark Hughes was called a master of the fine art of survival by Forbes magazine, and Herbalife appeared to be unstoppable. By the year 2000, Herbalife had 1 million distributors in 49 countries and was approaching $1 billion in sales. And to honor its successful 20-year existence, 44-year-old Mark Hughes hosted a five-day event at the Forum in LA. On February 19th, Mark took the stage before an audience of his 4,000 top distributors. Together, they watched a video detailing Herbalife's journey from the trunk of Mark's car to almost 50 countries worldwide. Tears rolled down Mark's cheeks as the video concluded, and he thanked the crowd for their contribution to his company's success. He then further conveyed his gratitude by handing out million-dollar checks to various sellers. Even though these rewards were mere drops in the pond of Herbalife's billion-dollar empire, Mark knew they would ramp up the crowd. He knew how to get in people's heads and inspire them to excel. With certainty and charm, Mark promised that even bigger and better things were in store. He invoked his famous personal slogan, saying that he would never stop trying to change the nutritional habits of the world one person at a time. But while Mark upheld a flashy exterior, complete with a fake tan, shiny white teeth, and a strong physique that served as a blueprint for Herbalife customers, he was struggling with internal demons. While Mark worked hard to present himself as the epitome of health and nutrition, in reality, he was a habitual drug user and an alcoholic. His lavish lifestyle did little for his depression, so he self-medicated, going on week-long benders in which he took his habits too far. Mark most likely inherited his addictive tendencies from his mother, as genetics are commonly thought to be the most important determinant for substance abuse. However, in addition to his genetics, Mark's success with Herbalife may have led him to believe that he could conquer his addiction the same way he did the business world. According to a paper published in 2017 by the Australian Psychological Society, excessive confidence and self-efficacy are key factors in problematic drinking. 
Some addicts believe that they can succeed in controlling their drinking just the same way they have tackled all of their other problems. Unfortunately, when intense cravings for alcohol kick in, self-efficacy levels drop drastically, causing the addict to lose control. Mark had tried to curb his drinking by honoring periods of sobriety, but when he needed to unwind, he would return to alcohol. The regimented approach Mark took to his alcoholism ultimately wasn't safe, because when he did go off the rails, he really went off. He went from disciplined CEO of a successful company to a reckless addict, stopping at nothing to feel good. Eventually, this behavior caught up to Mark. A few months after that festive night at the forum, Mark attended a birthday party for his grandmother where he let loose and consumed more than two and a half times the legal alcohol limit. When he got home from the event, he took his regular antidepressant and sleeping pill as per his usual routine and went to bed. Late the next morning, his wife, Darcy, went into their bedroom wondering why her husband hadn't woken up yet. When she tried to move Mark, she was alarmed to find that he wasn't breathing. The toxic amount of alcohol in Mark's blood mixed with the medicine unfortunately proved to be lethal. At only 44 years old, the international face of healthcare supplements was dead. Herbalife was determined not to let rumors of Mark's alcoholism destroy the late founder's reputation. As far as the leading executives were concerned, Herbalife's distributors couldn't know their leader had been struggling, lest it influence people's faith in the products. Luckily, Mark's cult-like status among Herbalife workers served him even after he passed away. The majority of distributors refused to believe Mark had ever had any sort of drug problem and purported that the overdose had been a one-time freak accident. So, Mark's reputation within the Herbalife community remained untarnished. Regardless, the company's sales suffered without their fearless leader. Stock prices dropped dramatically over the next two years, and in 2002, Herbalife went private again. Meanwhile, the search for Mark's replacement had been a fruitless one, with several men stepping up only to be let go months later. Finally, 49-year-old Michael O. Johnson was awarded the position of CEO in 2003. After 17 years as the president of Walt Disney International, Michael felt confident about the way he led his former company to over $1 billion in revenue. And apparently, so did Herbalife's executives. When Michael decided it was time for a career change, Herbalife scooped him up, certain that he would lead the company back to glory. But despite Michael's impressive resume and genuine passion for health and fitness, he didn't immediately fit in at Herbalife. He tried to introduce a new product without consulting the top distributors, souring their perceptions of him. He also made it clear that he wanted to rewrite some of the more questionable sales pitches, which upset the long-time sellers who had been spouting them for decades. But Michael insisted that these spiels stretched the truth about Herbalife a bit too much, and that didn't line up with his image of an ethical business. As Michael made revisions, it was all he could do to make peace with the distributors at the top of the pyramid. 
But the recruiters down the line grew more and more frustrated with Herbalife. They claimed that sales pitches were just the tip of an iceberg of unethical practices that Herbalife maintained. And they weren't going to stay silent. Coming up, Herbalife's distributors flood the World Wide Web with their concerns. Now, back to the story. After Mark Hughes died in May 2000, Herbalife went under a series of rocky leadership changes that eventually landed Michael Johnson as Mark's replacement. But while Michael made every effort to improve the front-facing ad copy and sales pitches, removing hefty exaggerations and bold-faced lies, many distributors had begun to find their voice online. After years feeling silenced by a company much larger than they were, disgruntled Herbalife distributors formed Facebook groups and recorded videos sharing their horror stories. They wanted to warn others about the dangers of working for Herbalife. Many complained about the exorbitant cost of becoming a distributor. New recruits were spending upwards of $8,000 on inventory, training, travel, and marketing. They were advised to set up new bank accounts for their personal business, open credit cards, purchase additional phone lines and answering machines, and switch their long-distance service to a carrier that worked with Herbalife. Lastly, the distributors were required to update their own inventory of Herbalife products on a monthly basis, which typically cost between $50 and $100, an amount that added up over time. Although Herbalife claimed to have a money-back guarantee, many found that returning products for reimbursement proved difficult, if not impossible. One distributor, a 64-year-old woman named Peggy, found herself $5,000 in debt due to her Herbalife business. She posted on an online forum, desperate for suggestions as to how to get any sort of refund. Herbalife had refused to take her products back, and Peggy's own sponsor had stopped taking her calls. So Peggy stopped working for Herbalife and tried to sell her remaining items on eBay. But that attempt took a turn when Herbalife threatened her with legal action for selling their products when she no longer worked for them. In her online post, Peggy emphasized that she survived on social security and that she needed the money to cope with her devastating financial situation. But fearful of Herbalife's lawyers, Peggy simply accepted her loss, chastising herself for falling for Herbalife's vicious scheme. But for many others, Herbalife had done more than rob from their bank accounts. It had also severely affected their social lives. Because of the emphasis placed on recruiting, new members often had to bother their friends and family about signing up, which created tension within their close relationships. The sad story aligned with many other online complaints about Herbalife in that it alleged the company was both a cult and a pyramid scheme. Another consistency in the online forums revealed that the former distributors felt they'd been cleverly outsmarted. Many even led successful and high-achieving lives prior to their joining the company, proving that anyone could be a victim of Herbalife's manipulation. Unfortunately for the duped, while their cries across the blogosphere swirled far and wide, Herbalife's PR campaigns went farther. Thousands of people were still signing up to own their own Herbalife business on the daily. And if a new recruit happened to express concern about a post or two, 
empty promises of major success quickly quelled their fears. Plus, Michael O. Johnson had worked through his rough start as CEO and his leadership seemed to bolster confidence in the company. In 2004, he took the company public again, which pushed their net annual sales to $1.3 billion. Things were looking up for those at the top of the company, while the pyramid beneath them devolved into chaos. Meanwhile, outside the MLM, medical professionals started questioning the truth behind Herbalife's products. In 2004, after a record-level sales year, Herbalife faced a major investigation from Israel's health minister after four people using Herbalife's products were found to have liver damage in the form of acute hepatitis. The Ministry of Health was ordered to investigate all Israeli hospitals and found a total of 12 patients with liver injuries related to the consumption of Herbalife products. Within the first year of consuming Herbalife products, each patient displayed symptoms of fatigue, jaundice, and weight loss. After undergoing treatment and allowing their liver enzymes to return to normal, doctors allowed three of the 12 patients to resume ingesting Herbalife products. All three patients were then diagnosed with a second bout of hepatitis or inflammation of the liver. One of the patients had initially assumed that she was losing weight because their Herbalife products were working, so she began to take three times the recommended dosage. This patient developed fulminant hepatic failure, which means that the problems in her liver spread all the way up to her brain. Because of this, she had to undergo a liver transplant. Shortly after her procedure, the patient passed away due to complications with her new organ. Shocked by the fatality from what had been deemed a harmless supplement, Israel's Ministry of Health called for an evaluation of all Herbalife products to determine possible hepatotoxicity. Yet, Herbalife didn't have the gall to share what happened with consumers. Instead, the company lied on its quarterly report that year, claiming that Israel had found no causal relationship between Herbalife and liver damage. Over the next several years, more and more hospitals, both in Israel and elsewhere, reported cases of liver damage in patients who had taken Herbalife products. The adverse effects of the false health claims had reached Spain, France, Argentina, Switzerland, Iceland, Finland, Italy, and the United States. And while hospitals reported alarming statistics, Michael O. Johnson consistently directed Herbalife's PR team to quash bad news as soon as it hit the US media. But in 2008, the Fraud Discovery Institute released a report that was so rich with detail and so well-sourced, it became a news item even Michael couldn't stifle. It cited, the results of lab analysis via an FDA-registered laboratory, Herbalife's misleading product literature, and several studies published in medical journals, all revealed one conclusion. Herbalife products contain dangerous amounts of lead. Christopher Grell, a lawyer specializing in product liability litigation, wrote a statement to accompany the alert, accusing Herbalife of violating California's Safe Drinking and Toxic Enforcement Act. He demanded that Herbalife comply with the law and begin displaying warning labels on their products. But Herbalife pushed back, 
insisting all their products met regulatory requirements and were well within the FDA recommended guidelines for lead content. To this, Christopher refuted that while each Herbalife tablet contained a safe amount of lead, taking Herbalife's recommended daily dosage of multiple tablets would put the consumer at serious risk of lead poisoning. Herbalife had no reply to this accusation and continued to deny any issues with its products, lead levels and liver damage. Ultimately, they looked bad for lying about dangers that had been scientifically proven. Then, in 2009, an Israeli woman sued Herbalife for $600,000, alleging that her consumption of their products had caused cirrhosis of the liver, a chronic condition that causes scar tissue to replace healthy liver cells. Like all other Herbalife scandals, the case seems to have been quietly settled out of court. Despite the growing outrage with Herbalife's lack of safety, consumers still willingly purchased Herbalife shakes and supplements in their attempts to lose weight. It seemed by this point that they had heard about the dangers and risks of the products but were instead swayed by testimonials about weight loss. This was exactly what Herbalife intended. The mindset of an overzealous dieter is complicated and often involves an extreme lack of confidence. Weight management companies like Herbalife choose to take advantage of this weakened mental state by convincing users that they can't possibly lose weight without the help of their specific products. Despite the fact that a key element of maintaining a healthy body is keeping a healthy mind, a 2017 study by Canadian psychologists found that most nutritional and diet companies neglected to place any focus on mental health. The study also revealed that many of their overweight and obese subjects use food as a coping mechanism for distress. If anything felt out of balance within their psychological, emotional or social state, these people turned to food to soothe themselves. And while overconsumption of food is dangerous in and of itself, the overconsumption of Herbalife's diet products to satiate a bottomless feeling of emptiness allegedly posed the serious threat of excessive lead ingestion. While the dieters may think they don't have to feel guilty eating so much because they're eating health products, they're actually putting themselves in serious danger. Even worse, sometimes, even if they recognized adverse side effects, dieters justified consuming diet products through their warped mentality. Michael O. Johnson knew that while Herbalife's proven connection to hepatotoxicity didn't seem to deter consumers, it might prevent new distributors from joining the company. And this made him nervous. So he decided to give Herbalife's public image a makeover and work to come up with new marketing strategies for the company. In 2010, Michael set up a partnership with the Union Rescue Mission in downtown Los Angeles where Herbalife had their offices. Through the organization, Herbalife supplied protein shakes to downtown LA's homeless population every weekday morning at the mission. It was a serious PR move. Michael also invested heavily in expanding Herbalife's product line to people who weren't looking to lose weight but cared about staying healthy. And when Herbalife started sponsoring sports teams FC Barcelona and LA Galaxy by early 2011, it was clear 
that Michael's new goal was to latch the company onto a more holistic, inclusive idea of health. It wasn't long before Herbalife released a series of all-new performance-enhancing products geared toward training and endurance. The company also sponsored the 2011 World Football Challenge, which David Beckham announced with the Herbalife name stitched on his shirt. Thanks to Michael's efforts, Herbalife enjoyed a few years of peace, prosperity, and positive publicity. But away from the scent of reclamation, important investors had begun to take notice of Herbalife's toxic cycle. One moment it was slandered, only to make a fierce comeback. And after a year flying high in the world of athletics, Herbalife was about to face the wrath of an activist investor with a vendetta to expose its truly sinister side. Thanks for listening to Con Artists. We'll be back next week with part two of Herbalife's story, where we'll discuss Bill Ackman's attempt to take down the MLM, starting one of the most famous stock wars in US history. For more information on Herbalife amongst the many sources we used, we found Reality Check, Herbalife Nutrition Limited by Christine Richard and Aaron Greenspan extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Con Artists and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Con Artists for free from your phone, desktop or smart speaker. To stream Con Artists on Spotify, just open the app and type Con Artists in the search bar. I'll see you next time. Con Artist was created by Max Cutler and is a Parkour Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Con Artist was written by Ellie Reed, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey, listeners. Don't forget to follow Blind Dating for a fun twist on a classic setup. YouTuber and host Tara Michelle can't wait to help hopeful singles meet their match. Search Blind Dating and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.